0: welcome to the improve the news podcast for saturday october 15th
1: 2022 where we separate the spin from the facts i'm adam clark and i'm scott wallace with today's top headlines russia will evacuate citizens from the annexed herson region
0: the u.s extends its covid public health emergency
1: biden releases his national security strategy The EU
0: is called on to recognize Russia as a terrorist regime. At
1: least 11 are killed in a Mali bus blast.
0: The North Carolina mass shooting suspect is arrested.
1: North Korea tests another missile and flies warplanes near South Korea.
0: Switzerland proposes $1,000 fines for burka ban violation.
1: Amnesty accuses Latvia of mistreating migrants.
0: And the British Prime Minister U-turns on taxes and fires her finance minister.
1: Our top story, day 233 of the conflict in Ukraine as Russia is to evacuate citizens from a next Kherson region and Ukraine strikes Russia's Belgorod region. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, Pravda, CNN and Al Jazeera. Russian Deputy Prime Minister Marat Koznolin said on Thursday that the country's government would assist residents of the recently annexed Kherson region in southern Ukraine to evacuate to other regions of the country, after a plea from the Russian-appointed official in the region. Vladimir Saldo, a former mayor of Kherson city and now Russia's head of the wider region, called on the Russian government to help relocate residents who he said were in danger from increased Ukrainian shelling. Saldos' current role means he is wanted for treason by Ukrainian officials. Meanwhile, Russian officials in the border region of Belgorod, which has frequently come under Ukrainian attack, said Ukrainian missiles struck an ammunition depot in the village of Akhtyabrushky, killing and injuring an unspecified number of people. Debris from the activation of missile defenses reportedly fell near a railroad, bringing disruption to local train services. In the meantime, Russian attacks were reported in the region of Nipopetrovsk, injuring one civilian and the cities of Zaporizhia and Kharkiv, with no reports of civilian injuries at this stage. The death toll from a Thursday attack on Mykolaiv has risen to seven, Ukrainian officials said. Elsewhere, according to a CNN report, Elon Musk's SpaceX has written to the U.S. Department of Defense, stating it's not in a position to donate further Starlink satellite internet terminals nor fund the indefinite use of existing terminals. Starlink technology is used by Ukraine's armed forces to communicate in the face of disruption to traditional phone and internet networks. According to Musk, donation of the services has so far cost SpaceX $80 million, and costs will exceed $100 million by the end of the year. According to the CNN report, SpaceX has asked the Pentagon to foot the bill if it's to continue providing the service.
0: Scott, thank you for laying out the facts on that story. Here on the show, we separate the facts from the spin, starting off with our anti-Russia narrative spin provided by Al Jazeera. While Ukraine's counteroffensive continues to press on, Russia's decision to evacuate residents from Kherson reveals that Moscow's hold on territories it claims to have annexed
1: is weakening. TASS brings us the pro russian narrative. The decision to help evacuate residents of Kherson is simply about saving lives. The announcement does not mean Russia is planning a mass evacuation from the territory, nor that Russian forces have plans to retreat.
0: And the Metaculous Prediction community has provided a statistics-based nerd narrative for this story. There's a 50% chance that Ukraine will regain control of Kherson by December 20, 2023 kind of a first one's free type thing.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking that. Yeah, yeah. Get you hooked and then jack up right. the price. Yep. You like that SpaceX, don't you? Yeah. I want to keep using it.
0: And in our next story, the U.S. extends its COVID public health emergency. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Washington Times, ABC, Associated Press, CNBC, and Washington Examiner. On Thursday the Biden administration extended the COVID public health emergency through January 11th. The move comes after Biden declared the pandemic over last month during an interview, though officials are warning of a possible surge in cases over the winter. The public health emergency, first declared by former President Trump in January 2020 and since renewed every 90 days, expanded Medicaid to those who would otherwise be ineligible, opened telehealth or remote services to Medicaid, and enabled emergency authorization of vaccines. The extension comes as some public health officials urge everyone aged 5 and older to get an updated vaccine booster for the Omicron variant, while Biden is requesting billions more in funding for vaccine and test distribution. Infections have dropped significantly since the peak Omicron surge this past January, but more than 300 deaths and 3,500 hospitalizations are reportedly still occurring daily. White House COVID response coordinator Dr. Ashish Jha said 70 percent of those dying are 75 and older, with most of them unvaccinated or not receiving treatments, such as Paxlovid. The emergency declaration has also allowed the Department of Health and Human Services to override state laws concerning the age groups to which pharmacies are allowed to administer vaccines, though it's unknown whether this will continue. Previously, the Biden administration has said that it will inform states at least 60 days in advance if it will be terminating the emergency declaration.
1: Thanks, Adam, for those facts. The story that will never end. will continue to have some politically divisive narratives. Let's start with the Republican narrative brought to us by the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Biden declared the pandemic over, yet his administration continues to abuse the emergency declaration renewed 11 times, allowing the government to bloat its budget, stifle private insurance competition, and steal public health policy power away from the state's. This government overreach must end, and federal emergency laws must be reconsidered.
0: And of course, if there's going to be a Republican narrative, you can count on there being a Democratic narrative, and this one's provided by Politico. COVID isn't done with us, and the steady flow of cases and deaths proves it. Extending the emergency declaration keeps millions of potential COVID patients on Medicaid so doctors can treat them more easily. The order also allows Congress to provide funds needed for vaccines, tests, and other important COVID-related
1: resources more easily. This is a logical option. And we have a statistics-based nerd narrative brought to us by the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says that there's a 24% chance that any U.S. state will re-implement a general indoor mask mandate before February 2023. So many levers to pull. If you're a uh, government official on this, you want to, there's value to declaring victory, but there's also uh, hesitation because then you lose power to kind of manipulate things. Uh, it's, it's a tough one. I wouldn't want to be in charge of it.
0: Especially coming up on the midterms elections right now, you don't want to make a snap decision to scare people or lose your footing in the
1: elections. Yep. And this is often the time of year where COVID takes a spike. So it's, uh, yeah, who knows? It's It's a tough one. And in more news from the West Wing, President Biden releases his national security strategy. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by Fox News, The Washington Post, New York Times, Reuters, and CNN. On Wednesday, the Biden administration released its new national security strategy. It focuses on Beijing and Moscow as the two major threats the U.S. faces in the world and emphasizes America's goal to pursue a free, open, prosperous, and secure world. The new assessment claims that China and Russia pose different challenges despite being increasingly aligned with each other. It details that the U.S. will prioritize maintaining an enduring competitive edge over the PRC while constraining a still profoundly dangerous Russia. The strategy expresses long-term worries about China, stating that it is the only country with both the intent to reshape the international order and increasingly the economic, diplomatic, military, and technological power to advance that objective. As for Russia, Biden has made it clear that the U.S. won't allow any country to achieve its objectives through using or threatening to use nuclear weapons. However, it doesn't detail what measures the U.S. would take to enforce this. Only one brief reference was made to North Korea in the 48-page document which detailed that the U.S. will seek to curb Pyongyang's nuclear and missile programs through sustained diplomacy. The assessment required by Congress is the first formal national security strategy outlined by Biden that places the pillars of his foreign policy into writing. According to Biden's advisor Jack Sullivan, it makes clear that the White House isn't analyzing the world solely through the prism of strategic competition. Thank you, Scott. Global Times is providing this
0: story with an establishment-critical narrative. The goals laid out in the Biden administration's first national security strategy harken to the days of the Cold War and will eventually bring instability and conflicts across the world through their binary opposition mindset and zero-sum thinking. Despite claiming to seek diplomacy over aggression— Wednesday's announcement indicates that the U.S.
1: seeks to launch geopolitical competition against other countries. And breaking defense gives us a pro-establishment narrative. The U.S. must be honest about the threat China and Russia pose to global stability. The U.S. is still willing to work with China when the country's values align. But as long as the nation continues to expand its military, the U.S. must be prepared to defend liberal and democratic values. Moscow's hostility and recent military aggression demonstrate it poses a threat, and it's important that the U.S. fortifies NATO's eastern flank and builds energy resiliency at home and among allies.
0: And there's a nerd narrative on this story. There's a 20% chance that there will be a U.S.-China war by 2035, and that's according to the Metaculous Prediction community. Pace calls on EU to recognize Russia as a terrorist regime. And here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Republic World, Medusa, and TASS. The Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe, or PACE, an international organization of European lawmakers separate from the EU, voted on Thursday almost unanimously in favor of a resolution calling on European countries to classify Russia as a terrorist regime. 99 out of 100 members who were drawn from 46 European parliaments voted in support of the resolution, with just one Turkish MP, a member of the Republican People's Party, abstaining. The resolution demanded Russia Completely and unconditionally withdraw its occupying forces from Ukraine and chastised Moscow for what it called indiscriminate attacks. It also accused Russia of advancing its terrorist policy to suppress the will of Ukrainians to resist and defend their country and provoke maximum harm to civilians. The resolution further called for the creation of a special international tribunal on aggression against Ukraine. In June, Russia announced its withdrawal from PACE, with a spokesman from the State Duma Committee on International Affairs saying, Russophobic decisions and resolutions by PACE have absolutely no significance for Russia, and the platform no longer has anything constructive to
1: offer. Thanks for the facts on that story, Adam. Interfax brings us the pro establishment narrative on this one. An overwhelming number of countries have Ukraine's back, and more might soon join in opposing Russia's aggression. This vote is confirmation that Russia's actions are terrorism, and since no one should negotiate with terrorists, this conflict can only end by beating Russia militarily. And there's an establishment-critical narrative provided
0: by Politico. The West must be careful with how it demonizes the Kremlin. Designating Russia a terrorist regime is a dangerous move that corners Putin, whose threats of nuclear weapons must be taken seriously and will only backfire by damaging future peace efforts. Once this route is taken, there's no going back, and this isn't the right time or the right tool. So 99 out of 100 agreed that they. there's only one, that one person from Turkey is like, I,
1: oh, hey, guys. That was also the guy that doesn't prefer Colgate. That was that dentist. That's right. He's an Aquafresh guy. Tragic news out of Mali as at least 11 are killed and dozens injured in bus blast. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the World Socialist website, Al Jazeera, The New Arab, and Al Arabiya. On Thursday, at least 11 people were killed and 53 injured after a bus traveling on the road between Bandiagara and Gundaka in the Mopti area of Mali, a region known as a hotbed for violence by roaming armed groups, hit an explosive device. For over a decade, the West African country has struggled with an armed conflict between the Malian government and insurgent groups that has reportedly claimed thousands of lives and displaced hundreds of thousands. The insurgent groups are known to use mines and improvised explosive devices, or IEDs, that can be detonated remotely or explode on impact. Last year, IEDs and mines reportedly killed 103 people and injured 297. The UN mission in Mali, MINUSMA, recently issued a report saying that as of August 31st this year, mines and IEDs had killed 72 people in 2022. The report said most victims were soldiers, but more than a quarter were civilians. This comes amid rising tension between Mali's ruling junta, which seized power in a 2020 coup, and Western powers that have condemned alleged security cooperation between the West African nation and the allegedly Kremlin-linked private military company Wagner Group the main reason behind France's decision to withdraw its troops from its former colony.
0: Thank you, Scott. The pro-establishment narrative is provided by Atlantic Council. The fallout from the Malian government's hostility towards France and its European partners is becoming increasingly apparent. Now that the shadowy Russian Wagner group is active in the country, the security situation is rapidly deteriorating. Wagner isn't focused on the people's security, but rather on the pursuit of its own and Moscow's interests. The West is now well-advised to offer its anti-terror support to countries in West Africa.
1: And the World Socialist website gives us the establishment-critical narrative. The West's moves in resource-rich Mali and the entirety of the Sahel aren't motivated by the fight against jihadist insurgents, to promote democracy, or to secure a rule-based order. Western members of the U.N. are only concerned with defending their own geostrategic interests, including against Russia. The so-called stabilization mission, MINUSMA, serves only as a tool for power projection after the end of French neocolonialism in Mali.
0: News in the tragedy out of North Carolina, a suspect has been arrested in connection to the mass shooting. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Washington Post, Newsweek, Wall Street Journal, Fox News and USA Today. On Thursday, a 15-year-old male suspect was in custody and critical condition at a local hospital after he allegedly opened fire in Raleigh, North Carolina, killing at least five people and wounding several others. The shooter allegedly fired his first shots along a walking trail Thursday afternoon and evaded a massive police presence for hours before he was arrested just after 9.30 p.m. Investigators are still trying to determine the motive for the attack. Among the victims were the shooter's 16-year-old brother and an off-duty police officer. Raleigh Police Chief Estella D. Patterson said her heart is heavy and added, the Raleigh Police Department and the Raleigh community is resilient and we stand strong and we will heal and we will be stronger as a result of what has occurred. President Joe Biden and First Lady Jill Biden expressed their sentiments in a statement calling for an assault weapons ban and saying the American people support this common sense action to get weapons of war off our streets.
1: Thanks for the update on that's a horrible tragedy, Adam. We have a left narrative spin from The New York Times. The U.S. must follow the lead of other countries and tighten its gun laws if it's ever going to reduce the number of mass shootings. There are reams of evidence to prove the fewer guns that fall into citizens' hands, the less gun violence there is in a country. That these incidents continue to occur is unacceptable.
0: And The Federalist is providing us with a right narrative on this story. The left's anti-gun agenda won't do anything to quell the violence. It'll only infringe on the Second Amendment rights of law-abiding citizens tragedies like what happened in Raleigh are ripe for exploitation by those who want to take away Americans' guns. But those same people ignore all the other types of crime and violence hurting the country.
1: And there's a cynical narrative from Daily Coast. Thursday's tragic mass shooting in Raleigh has become another violent Thursday night in America. Senseless shootings like this almost render media coverage useless because they happen so much now. While there's political leadership in North Carolina who will care, we all know nothing is really changing in society. One by one, these desensitizing incidents are slowly robbing us of our outrage, and that's a shame.
0: And the nerds at Metaculus have an opinion on this story. There's a 1% chance that the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution will be amended or repealed before 2025.
1: So you've got a lawn, you got weeds in your lawn. And uh, there's a couple ways you can go about getting rid of the weeds. You can pull out each weed one by one, or you can grow your grass so thick that weeds just can't grow. Uh, you got to do one or the other, I guess. This is a metaphor for weapons, isn't it? Are you, are you just not mowing your lawn? Are well, you see, I have is a, a, a phosphorus issue in, my, in the soil. You know, there's things you got to do. I got a pH issue. So, yeah. North Korea tests another missile and flies warplanes near its southern border. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by Japan Times, CNN, Reuters, The New York Times, CBS, and Al Jazeera. On Thursday, North Korean state media said that the People's Army had successfully test-fired two long-range strategic cruise missiles on Wednesday, supposedly confirming the reliability and operation of nuclear-capable weapons with a longer range. The Korean Central News Agency, or KCNA, claimed that the cruise missiles flew oval and figure-eight pattern for roughly three hours over the Yellow Sea before hitting their intended targets 1,240 miles or 2,000 kilometers away. Kim Jong-un reportedly supervised the tests and stressed it was another warning to its enemies that the North will continue to expand its nuclear deterrence and its readiness to take the initiative in any crucial military crisis and war crisis. Following Pyongyang's 26th weapons launch so far this year, the 6th this month, the North's warplanes flew close to the border to South Korea, prompting Seoul to deploy its own warplanes in response. On Friday morning, the North reacted by firing a short-range ballistic missile. As denuclearization talks have long been stalled, Kim Jong-un has doubled down on developing the country's nuclear arsenal, revising laws to allow preemptive strikes, and declaring the country an irreversible nuclear power. Though North Korea's cruise missiles, air force, and tactical nuclear devices are believed to be much less capable than its propaganda suggests, analysts warn that a weapons-testing barrage must not be seen as mere saber-rattling.
0: Scott, thank you for the update on that situation. Red State is providing us with a Republican narrative on this story. You can't blame Kim Jong-un for flexing North Korea's military muscle when Biden is recklessly saber-rattling with Taiwan and China. How does Kim know the U.S. won't also team up with South Korea for an invasion of the North? Trump's relationship with and policies toward North Korea maintain stability
1: in the Korean Peninsula. Contrast that with the Democratic narrative from MSNBC. Kim Jong-un's geopolitical actions have been erratic, and his missile launches are destabilizing the peninsula. Instead of provoking a confrontation, the leader should take the Biden administration up on its offer to meet without preconditions and settle any of his grievances peacefully. Biden is showing strength and prudence in the region. And there's
0: also a nerd narrative on this story provided by the folks at Metaculous. There's a 33% chance... That if there is an offensive detonation anywhere by 2050, there will be at least one resulting in a fatality in North Korea.
1: Oh man, we heard the term saber rattling a few times in this uh, article. I I pine for the days back when you could stop a whole military problem by just jingling your sword a little bit. Those those just, were the days. Just raving it up in the air. And- I think it's still on your hip. You just jingle it a little bit. I think oh you, you think, you think it's just it like just it's really subtle, like all ah. Well, if you're going to take your sword out, you got to be ready to use it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to rattle
0: my saber. Switzerland proposes a $1,000 fine for burka ban violations. And here are the facts reported by LBC, Euro, Al Arabiya, and Al Jazeera. New proposals could reportedly see fines of up to 1,000 Swiss francs, around 1,005 U.S. dollars, issued to anyone who violates restrictions on face coverings in Switzerland. Penalties for those who break the ban have already been diluted after the Cabinet refused calls to anchor the law in the criminal code. A ban on all face coverings in public, including religious veils, was passed last year following a binding referendum on the issue. The so-called burka ban received narrowly more support than opposition and was brought by the same group that launched restrictions on new minarets in 2009. According to the Swiss administration, the ban on covering faces aims to ensure public safety in order. Punishment is not the priority. The administration also suggested that aircraft settings, diplomatic premises, and places of worship all be made exempt from restrictions, while coverings for health or safety reasons or linked to climatic conditions or local customs, will also remain valid. Authorities would also have to approve of and receive assurances that face coverings worn during public protests to protect oneself will not result in public disorder, if the new law is passed. The law, which comes after a ban on the donning of full-face veils in public introduced in France in 2011, was launched by a group known as Agrkinger Committee, who claim to organize resistance against the claims to power of political Islam in Switzerland. Muslims make up just 5% of the 8.6 million strong Swiss populace, though estimates from the University of Lucerne put the number of women who wear the niqab in Switzerland at just 30.
1: Thanks for those revealing facts. Adam, we have a progressive narrative from Newsbud. A number of European countries, as well as the Canadian province of Quebec, have adopted secularist laws that prohibit the wearing of religious symbols in public, including religious dress. Such laws reflect the homogenization of society and repression of the diverse experiences and motivations people have for expressing their religion through clothing, especially Muslim women. Denying them the ability to choose whether to wear a veil removes their autonomy and sense of self. And Spectator is providing us
0: with a conservative narrative. Europe is the beacon of secular liberal democracy and where public spaces are shared by such multicultural and diverse groups as make up many populations in European countries. Rules about dress can and should be imposed to stop any one group from dominating another. Islamists thrive on the idea of Muslims being a society within a society Governments must put a stop to such notions to prevent
1: sectarian fractures. And we have a cynical narrative from Daily Sabah. This ban is Islamophobic and aimed at tackling a non-existent problem, as Muslims are already well-integrated in Swiss society. The right-wing are simply using the niqab to rally support and give the population something to project their fears onto. Kind of an interesting debate. Is it oppressive to not let someone wear a garment if they want to that other people view as oppressive? Or is that oppressive? Uh. Exactly. Amnesty International has alleged in a new report that migrants trying to cross the border from Belarus to Latvia have been violently beaten and humiliated by border authorities, with some even subjected to alleged torture. Latvia has denied claims that officials used excessive force, instead referring to the migration as illegal crossings, despite the possibility of violating EU law. The director of Amnesty International's European Institutions Office, Eve Getty, has claimed that Latvia has given refugees and migrants a cruel ultimatum, which often leads to detention, unlawful returns and torture. In reply, the Latvian foreign minister tweeted that already for some time, Amnesty International has lost any credibility and this report further proves complete degradation of a once respected human rights organization. Latvia rejects these bogus accusations. To date, Latvia has provided a refuge or given safe passage to over 35,000 refugees from the war in Ukraine and has also, in the past, along with Lithuania and Poland, accused Belarus of using migrants as part of a hybrid warfare against the EU.
0: Thank you, Scott, for providing us with the facts on that story. We've got two narratives spinning away from it. Amnesty International is providing us with a narrative A. Refugees and migrants have been brutally treated by Latvian border control while being arbitrarily held at undisclosed sites in Latvian forests. This report follows similar reports from Belarus, Poland, and Lithuania, in what is a clear breach of EU and international law. This is an egregious violation of fundamental
1: human rights. And public broadcasting of Latvia brings us Narrative B. The report makes inflammatory allegations of widespread border abuse based on the testimony of only 17 people, most of whom were Iraqi nationals who had very little idea of the legality of their crossing. Amnesty International has seen its reputation decline in recent months over its coverage of Ukraine. This report is unfair and out of context.
0: Now, is this a, si- a similar situation too with regards to trying to get people to fight in the war? Because I know Belarus has been joining Russia yeah, right, you know, in their war against
1: Ukraine. I didn't put that connection together. But yeah, Belarus has often been labeled as like the, uh, the loyal lieutenant to, to the one, the one yeah. state that's loyal to Russia. It makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Prime
0: Minister Liz Truss confirms a new tax U-turn. And here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, ITV, CNBC, Newsbud, and Telegraph during a news conference on Friday after the sacking of Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng. UK Prime Minister Liz Truss reversed plans to scrap a rise in corporation tax from 19% to 25% in a bid to reassure the markets. In her speech, Truss stated that she would not resign, saying, I am absolutely determined to see through what I have promised, and reaffirmed that a low-tax, high-wage, high-growth economy was a goal that remains. This marks the second reversal from the controversial mini-budget announced on September 23rd. Despite the U-turn, the sterling fell approximately 1.1% against the dollar after Truss's speech. Truss conceded that parts of the mini-budget went further and faster than markets were expecting and claimed that the change would raise 18 billion pounds, or 21.12 billion U.S. dollars, for the public purse, following warnings by the Institute of Fiscal Studies that there was a 62 billion pound, or 69.32 billion U.S. dollar, hole in public finances. This comes as senior members of the 1922 Committee of Tory MPs are reportedly scheduled to meet later this weekend to consider what needs to happen to assist her to get back to a sensible level of support.
1: All right, we have a uh, political story, and we have two diametrically opposed political narratives. The Guardian brings us the left narrative. Truss was never going to make a good prime minister, and now it's too late for her to just be an ordinarily bad one. Her lackluster speech saw her avoid responsibility and refuse to apologize, likely losing what little support she had left. It's clear that time's up for the self-serving conservative party, which has demolished its credibility completely. And Telegraph is providing us with a right narrative.
0: The anti-growth coalition has wrongly, albeit successfully, pointed its finger at the government for the current and worldwide economic turmoil. And Truss has foolishly submitted to its pressure. Rather than sticking with the government's original agenda, the embattled prime minister has embarrassingly backpedaled, a futile and dangerous move that won't see a recovering
1: economy u-turns on tax cuts aren't the answer and we have a final nerd narrative from Metaculus. this one says that there's a 17 percent chance that cost of living riots will happen in the uk before march 1st of 2023 that's one thing i kind of like about
0: the british uh, uh uh politics is that if their prime minister is screwing up you can get a vote of no confidence in and- Even though you were just elected prime minister, what, a month and a half ago, you could be out. I kind of wish they would do that with presidents here sometime, you know? I mean,
1: I think, I mean, there's arguments for giving someone job security in a lot of places, but I don't know. Being the prime minister of a country probably isn't one of them. Definitely not one of them. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Saturday, October 15th, 2022. Each day, we use machine learning to read
0: about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key
1: facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, visit our website, www.improvethenews.org or download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Adam Clark, I'm Scott Wallace, inviting you to enjoy your weekend and join us next time on Improve the News.